Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So at 18 years old, I was finally able to escape the regime of my mother. Growing up, we didn't have a democracy in my house. It was a dictatorship. My mom didn't not like all, excuse me, my mom had all these rules growing up I didn't like. Like she said, don't come home two o'clock in the morning banging around. And I thought, well, why are you going to bed so early? I mean, I can stay up late. I can function with that with four hours of sleep. You should be able to too. She had rules like clean up your dishes. Don't leave all your dirty clothes laying around in your room because it's stinking up the house. I didn't think it smelled that bad. You see, my mother had all these unreasonable expectations on my life. I was working hard and I had a social life to maintain. So I did at 18. I was a grown man and I decided I was gonna break free. So I moved out with me and my best friend, David. Now, you guys haven't heard a lot about David, but uh, he's 40, and I just like to bring that up just in case he's listening. He's 40, he's a little bit older than me, and I've known David since I was eight, so I'm 37. Me and David have been best friends for 29 years now, right, and that's a pretty long time. And so at, we've been friends for 29 years, and well, I don't know, if you have friends like that, that you've known that long, you know how much dirt you have on them, right? But what do they also have on you? Right, so you'll probably never meet David because of that. But you see, I met his whole entire family when I was eight. We moved into this new neighborhood. David was three years older than me. His brother, Alan, was two years younger than me. And his oldest brother was five years older than me. Three of them, one of me. And since my brother, my, my, the next sibling from my line, is seven years younger than me, do y'all keep track of all that math? Just go with it, okay? Just shake your head. I got it, okay. But he's seven years younger. Um, when I was eight, he was one, right? I didn't have anybody to play with. So I went to David's house, and I just hung out with all of the boys, all of them. We just had friends and did a lot of, well, fun stuff, I guess you'd say, with four boys running around the neighborhood. Now, the funny thing is their father never liked me. Um, for some reason, he didn't like that I would come to the house Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock and knock on the door. And I'd say, is David available to play? He'd say, no, he's sleeping. I'd be like, is Alan available? He'd be like, no, he's sleeping. I was like, was Sean available? He's like, no, they're all sleeping. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. I said, okay. 8.30, what'd I do? They up yet? No, David's asleep. Is Alan up yet? And I would just go through this process. So I drove him crazy, but that's okay. So I was friends with all of them. David, I was by far the closest with. We moved out. Um, even when I moved out of that neighborhood at 13, he would come over once a week because he was driving. Every Tuesday, he would come over to the house because that's when CDs first came out, right? Tuesday was the release date. And so we would hang out and we had systems. Anybody like systems? We had stuff that was my journey. Okay, so we had systems. We'd come over, hear the new CDs, and that's, that's what we would do. Or that's all I'm going to tell you about that we did, okay? And so at 18, with my best friend and his older brother, we moved out. Who rents a house to an 18-year-old, a 21-year-old, and a 23-year-old? Needless to say, we did not get back our deposit, but moving on, okay? And so we moved out. I was out of my mother's regime, and then I found out this interesting thing. It's not so easy being an adult. 
I realized that while my mom might fuss at me for not doing the dishes, my friends will punch me. It's very different when you're moving with, with two other grown men out in the house. It was a very different experience. But I found out that living on my own wasn't near as easy as I thought it would be. You see, I was making good money, and then that job didn't work out. In fact, switching careers, if we call that at 18, I'd lost half of my income. I made half the money. And so I go from, right, this is 18 now, I go from barely being able to afford it to not being able to afford absolutely anything. Y'all ever been there? Y'all ever just been flat broke? Like what I took for lunch with me, true story, I took four pieces of buttered bread and two pieces of cheese, and I took those grilled cheese machines. You know that when you close them, they compress. Y'all ever use one of those? They cut them in triangles? Yeah, that's what I would have for lunch every single day because I could afford to eat absolutely nothing else. I, could barely, I couldn't pay my bills. And so what do you do at 18? You can't pay your bills. Well, David stepped in. For the next year, he covered all my bills. He covered my electricity, what I couldn't afford. He covered my rent that I couldn't afford. It was pretty amazing, but we can understand that, right? You go, okay, well, Brian, he covered your bills because if they turned off the electricity, what's he going to do? I say, you're right. Well, it could have kicked me out. But he covered those bills. But what blows me away and why I'm telling you this is because he didn't just cover my bills. He covered my expenses because we were friends. For instance, that year, particularly, the Steelers made the playoffs. And there was a slight chance we might play his team in the playoffs. We both knew that wasn't going to happen. But knowing I had no money, David bought the playoff tickets. He booked a hotel room in Pittsburgh. Right? Talk about a friend. And said, come on, let's go up there. Just pay me when you can. I didn't have money to eat lunch. I wasn't paying him back anytime soon. And he covered the whole cost up there. David's the guy that I called when I was stuck in Richmond at 12 o'clock at night and needed a ride home. He's the guy I could call to come and pick me up. I hope you guys have friends like that. He's pretty gracious. And if you don't, I look for him. They're out there. But you see, when the Bible talks about friendships... It's talking about that kind of relationship, a close friend, somebody who shares your spiritual life. I was able to get David in church, and he gave his life to Christ later on, but um, both spiritual life and material life, what we call today like best friends or lifelong friends or real friends, right, because some of you have like a 1,000 friends on social media, and we both know they wouldn't pick you up at 12 o'clock from Columbia, right? They wouldn't drive out there, right? They're not real friends. So we have these friends almost lost its meaning today. But when the Bible uses the word friend, it talks about these close friends, like best friends, these people that really are there sharing and helping you along. Look what some scholars say for us. One scholar says this, said friendship in antiquity was usually taken far more serious than in today's Western world as a lifelong pact between people with shared values and loyalties. That's Craig Bloomberg. Another scholar says, we speak rather casually about our friends in our day, but in the Hellenistic world, friendship involves sharing all things and a unity in both spiritual and physical. So they really shared and really took care of each other. So it's important because today James is going to dive into our tendency to become friends with the world when you and I are called to be friends with God. He's going to teach us how devastating it can be when we allow our loyalties and our friendships to align with the world versus where they should be, and that is with God. Remember, if you haven't been here, you haven't been here in a while, this whole book of James is teaching us how to have mature faith. He's telling us, look, your faith works. Your faith in Jesus Christ really does want to do something in you. God wants to do something through you. He wants to lead you towards maturity. As I found out, maturity isn't easy. It takes time, and it's hard. 
But that's what James is all about. He says the reason, he dives deep today, the reason for your self-deception, your double-mindedness, is because of who your friendship and who you're friends with and what you're allowing in your life. And so today, if you find yourself away from the Lord, if you find yourself backsliding, if it's been a long time since you've been at worship, or if you're teetering in the faith, listen, I'm glad you're here because James goes head on and deals with this problem. I don't believe in coincidences, and I don't imagine most of you do either. God knows you're here this morning and brought you here to hear this message. Let's dive right in. James chapter 4, he says this. He says, what causes, we saw this last week, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Remember, James called us last week, we saw, James called us to be peacemakers, right? And what's causing fights and quarrels? It's that conflict, it's self-interest, it's selfishness. They're allowing sin to get in the way of their gatherings. They're allowing sin to get in the way of the togetherness the church is supposed to experience. And sin produces, well, he already told us what it produces. It produces quarrels and fights. Where you have people arguing and bickering, you have sin. There's a source of sin. Something needs to be dealt with. Because the truth is, all of us, you and me both, we're all a little selfish, aren't we? Y'all aren't going to admit it this morning. That's okay. I already know. We're all a little selfish. We all, no matter how much we try to put it to death, we can all just naturally wake up selfish one morning. Don't even think about it. It just kind of happens. And so all of us have to deal with that selfishness. we got to keep that in check. Here's what he says, verse 2. He says, you desire, but you do not have. So you, we're like, James, are you, that's a little far, isn't it? He's like, yeah, but you get my point now, don't you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You see, their internal desires, their internal cravings are battling within them. And it happens to all of us. All of us have that inner battle where things are going on, our selfishness or our desires. We want it our way. It has to be this way. This urge that wants to create war for other people if you don't get your way. In other words, an adult temper tantrum. Come on, guys. I know most of y'all. Come on now. Y'all ever had an adult temper tantrum? I know you have. I know you. Again, we've already talked about that. We, an adult temper tantrum, just because we're past three doesn't mean we still don't have them, right? That's what he's calling us out on, our adult temper tantrums. He's like, come on, guys, what's causing this? It's because of covet. You're willing to hurt people. You're willing to be so selfish that you're willing to blow up a church. You're willing to blow up a marriage. You're willing to blow up a friendship. You're willing to blow up a company. You're willing to blow up a department. You want what you want, and so you're going to blow it up. You ever been there? You ever done it? You see, James says, for those who are stirring up conflict and quarrels, the real problem is you have a problem with God. He says, that's what's going on. Look at the next verse. He says, you want what you do not have because you do not ask God. But when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. This you... Is all this sin built up in your life? You're not even praying. You're not even seeking God in the matters. And if you do look to God, you look to God to be your genie, to just answer your prayers. And if you get what you're asking for, you're not going to be generous. You're not going to be loving. You're not going to be kind. You get all that stuff, and what are you going to do? Blow it on you. 
It's all about me. These are that selfish prayers, right? We, we've learned and we talked about, especially Wednesday nights. God's not our genie. He's not there, not there just to give us what we want. He is our God that we serve. So what you desire is wrong. Those quarrels and conflict, that stuff you want to do is, is wrong. You may say, well, Brian, I have a righteous cause. But again, we've been over this. You may be right, but you can be spiritually wrong. Just because you're right doesn't mean you live in sin because you're right. That makes you then wrong. You see, the formula he's expressing is simple. He's saying those selfish desires that you have and you're not getting that selfish stuff that you want. It's all about you and what you think and what you want. So God's not giving you what you, what you want because you're just going to blow it all on you. So in the grand scheme of things, who's it all about? That person, right? You, me. It's all about us. He says, no. He says, this is what causes problems in the church. This is what causes problems in your marriage. This is what causes problems in the athletic field or work. I mean, it causes problems everywhere. Selfishness, this internal desire about me and what I want and I need. He says, no. He says, we need to address our heart. Because if you're turning to God to bless your evil desires, he won't do it. If you're asking God for things just to cash in on your own pleasure, he's not going to come through with that. God isn't interested in fueling your greed with his generosity. He's interested in fueling your generosity with his. Try that out. But your greed, he's not interested in fueling that. You see, Jesus teaches us to prayer. When he teaches us, he says, first, focus on God's character. That is who he is. Then you focus on God's character. I'm mean, excuse me, God's character, God's kingdom. You focus on that and next God's will. When Jesus says, when you go to God in prayer, you focus on him first. His will, his kingdom, his character, not you. And now we get to one of the strongest rebukes in the New Testament, verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. When we're acting like this, when we flirt with the world, we're cheating on God. You see, the adulterous language is rooted all throughout the Old Testament. It's about the Old Testament covenant with God and Israel, that they are to be his people. He is to be their God. And when they start worshiping or focusing or dabbling in this sin, he says, you're committing adultery. And as the church, we are called the bride of Jesus Christ. We make friends with the world. That's the loyalty. That's the shared possessions, right? Like we talked about, we want to make friends with the world, James calls us an adulterer, saying spiritually adultery. Look, the beloved disciple tells us the same thing. Look what John, um, John says, 1 John. He says, do not love the world or the, anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. So what does he mean by the world? Well, he gives us the best commentary, and this helps us understand James 2, verse 16 and 17. He tells us, he said, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The lust of the flesh, he's speaking about those natural desires, those natural tendencies to go against the things of God, which we all have. That sinful stuff that we want to get involved with, that sinful stuff that ignores God. 
That's when we're controlled by our feelings and our impulses. And we have to put that stuff to death. We have to deal with that because we cannot live in a world where we do whatever we want whenever we want. Because God is in charge. And that would create chaos. And God's not a God of chaos. That's not what he's about. So the lust of the flesh is that natural impulse. I'll just do what I want. He says, no. Or the lust of the eyes. Well, I'm sure you know that our eyes introduce us into all sorts of things, don't they? They create messes for us. One person says the eyes are the window of the soul. I'm sure you've heard that. And of course, this is where we could talk about sexual desires. Pornography, of course, starts here. Or so many other things. But it's not just the sexual stuff. When you see that new boat or that new car or that new purse or those new clothes. Or that new person at the office or that new computer, right? The eyes, we start seeing things and we want it and we want it and we want it. He says the pride of life. The pride of life is the glorification of oneself. Where it's about you getting the glory. We are to do all things to bring glory to whom? God, right? That's pretty standard. We should know that when we are, all that we do, we bring glory to God. Pride of life says it's all about me. So I don't have pride issue. If you've ever said things like, don't they know who I am? You're like, no, we don't. Who are you? I mean, I don't know. Right? Or don't they know my education in the school I went to? Don't they know my last name? Don't they know what I do for a living? Right? When you start saying things like that, it's called pride. When we want to point people to us rather than to him. When we want to give people our resume and they never asked. We've talked about that before. If they don't ask your resume, they're not interested. I'm just serious. They're not. We don't do that. We tell them about Jesus. You see, pride tells us we don't need other people. We don't need to gather for worship. Pride tells us, well, I don't need to get into God's word. I I know how to do everything on my own. See, pride is a nasty thing. In fact, C.S. Lewis calls it the worst of all sins. He said, pride is what made the devil the devil, and all other evil flows from pride. Pride is a dangerous thing. Look at what James says again. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy with God. Our friendship, our loyalty, our intimacy must be with God first and foremost. When we're flirting with the world, or better yet, when we're a Christian... When we're a follower of Jesus, but yet we're trying to follow these other things. When we're trying to own this material worldview, or we're trying to own this other way of life. He rebukes us with the strongest language possible. He says, you're wrong. You're flat out wrong. You see, we think going with the world can't be that big of a deal. I mean, gossip, it's not that big of a deal. Enviness, bitterness, being unforgiven, it's not that big of a deal. God doesn't really care. James says, you're wrong. You're wrong. We think ignoring the community of God's people, not coming together for publicly worship, we don't need it. He's saying you're, you're wrong. You're following the things of the world. That's what the world tells you to do. That's not what the church, that's not what Jesus, that's, that's not what the Bible tells you to do. You're following the other way. You see, remember, James has already used the word friend once in his letter. Do you remember who he called a friend of God? Abraham. He explains, because this idea crept into the church back then, and it still creeps into the church now, that your faith is more than just this statement of beliefs. Look at what he says, James 2, 22. We've already went over this. He says, you see that his faith and his actions were, I should highlight this, working together. Faith and actions go together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, that person is considered righteousness by what they do and not by faith alone. You see, Abraham left everything to follow God. He made mistakes along his way, along the way, but his faith was characterized by his actions. Abraham believed and he left and he followed. But James says, listen, you can't be friends with God and then kind of try to live in this world. You can't follow God and then follow the world. They're going to pull you in opposite directions. Plain and simple. Christ says, gather together. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembly of believers. I'm just showing you an example. I'm not picking on anybody. But he says, you got to gather together for worship. The world says, Sunday's not that big of a deal. Go do what you want to do. Sleep in, relax, enjoy, go to brunch. You can't do both. You you, you can't. you got to pick one. You can follow the ways of the Lord, what he's instructed us to, or follow the ways of the world. But you can't do both. And the endless, there's endless examples, and that's his point. You see, God isn't neutral. He says you are becoming, it's not up there. He says you are becoming an enemy with God. You're going down the path of sin. You're becoming an enemy. You see, God isn't neutral. Jesus wasn't neutral when he went to the cross. He went and bled and died for our sin. I mean, it's a really big deal. Look at verse five. He continues. He says, do you think scripture says without reason that he is jealously longs for the spirit that calls to dwell in us. God is jealous for us. We always think of jealous in the negative term, but jealous isn't always negative. Jealousy is when somebody has a relationship and something else is trying to get in the way of it. For instance, my wife and I, if somebody were to try to get in the middle of our relationships or try to wreck that relationship, that's a good jealously. I care about that marriage. I want us to stay together. Pretty sure my kids try to wreck my marriage. Y'all kids ever done that? Yeah, I know. That's what they do. But yeah, so we come together. Jealousy is wrong. God, jealousy, God wants it. And, that, and the point, jealousy works. This is, the, this is the thing. He wants that intimate relationship with you. He wants you to be together. He wants you to know him, to desire him, to have that thing. And if anything else comes in, he's jealous of it. Because it's going to ruin that relationship. And so what in the world are you allowing to get in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ, your maker and creator of all things? What's more important than that? James said, I already told you. Quarreling, conflict, that's more important than God because you do it. Your selfishness, your bitterness, that's more important because you do it. Evidently, we think those things are more important than intimacy with him. Now, let's pause here because I don't know about you, but reading through this, I was like, are you for real, James? I got to teach this this week. Like, this is heavy. This is rough. This is almost too much, James. This is radically hard to get through. When I was preparing this, I said, James, all right, man, you're going to have to relax a little bit. This is far too much. Because I imagine all of us are sitting there because I was. I was sitting in my chair. I was convicted. I was embarrassed. I was full of shame and guilt. I mean, everything James has said, all of us should feel that or you weren't listening. Shame, guilt, conviction, like like this is, this. what do I do? Because God's demands can seem absolutely terrifying. It can be like too much, but he's not done, and he brings it home. And why this is so important, remember, this is the guy who denied his own brother while he was on earth. James is the one who denied Jesus Christ. His brother said, you're not really him. He didn't believe him. So James experienced how that double-mindedness, 
How about double heart? What that caused, what he missed out on. James is saying this stuff is serious because you're going to miss out like I missed out. You're going to be living with these regrets. I don't want you to live with it. So let me just call you an adulterer. The strongest language to grab your attention because this is a really big deal. So now that he has it, he says this, and you got to love it, verse 6. But he gives us more grace. Oh, thank goodness he brought up grace. But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture said God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God's grace is greater. God is serious and God doesn't like sin, but we can never forget God is merciful. God is all-loving. And he's willing to supply us with all, the, with all the needs. He's willing to supply us with all that we need to follow his will. You see, God's grace is greater than our sin. And I am so thankful for that. I don't know about you. But no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've went away, his grace is greater. But the thing about grace, grace calls you and I into action. Grace tells us that although we are sinner, all sinners, he saves us. And through his grace, he wants to work in our lives. He wants to work in us and through us. We don't have to get it all together before we start following. It's impossible. We start following, and because of his grace, he allows us, and he calls us and starts working in our lives. You see, grace is a hard thing to understand. It's a hard thing for us to experience. But remember, God wants to be your friend. You see, while we can understand David paying the electric bill for me because we don't want to get kicked out, he paid the rent because he doesn't want to get kicked out, it's easy to understand he would do something for his own benefit. What doesn't make sense is why he would pay for a football game. What doesn't make sense is why he would come pick me up in the middle of the night when he doesn't have to. And we understand that, right? We understand, well, that's just a great friend. That's an amazing friend. We start thinking about the friends that we have. But the thing about this all is, yes, I have a great friend, but our God is so much greater than that. And he doesn't keep a notebook and say, pay him back. He says it's been forgiven. <laughs> It's not cheap grace now. It was costly. That's what the cross was all about. But he doesn't keep a notebook. He's saying, come on. I'll use you. It's okay, the notebook, it's been forgiven. It's been wiped clean. All we have to do is accept his grace. You see, God is preparing you and I for the eternity he created. We are either becoming more like the person he wants us to be and live in eternity, or we're becoming the exact opposite of that for complete opposite destination. But you and I are headed somewhere. We're becoming what we need to be to be in eternity. He's working in our lives and through us, but he's doing something in us. Or we're becoming the exact opposite of that, less than human. And are you growing in holiness? Are you growing in holiness? Are you prepared for your heavenly home? Or are you so consumed with the things of this world that God might get some of your spare time? Are you too consumed with work, sports, vacations, homework, hobbies, our kids' future? I mean, we've got to talk to my generation and their kids. We're pretty ridiculous about it. Are we too consumed with what the world tells us is important that we've become friends with the world or rubbing elbows with them saying, yeah, we'll do that path. We'll do what you say. Never mind God. Never mind what he has. Never mind what he wants. We'll do this stuff with the world and it'll be all right. James is saying, no, it won't be. It won't be okay. Look at this. But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture said God opposes the what? 
Now, what does oppose mean? Opposes, does that mean he just sit back? He's like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. You just go for it. No, oppose means he will prevent you. Check that out. He will prevent you from getting what you want. He will step in the way of your goals and dreams and prevent it and stop it and shut it down. If we humble ourselves before him, he will show us favor. If we're becoming friends with the world, buying into their worldview, letting it dictate, God will shut that down. And maybe you didn't know that before today. Maybe you thought, well, I know God loves me and I know God cares about me so I can do what I want. No, no, that's not how that works. Because we have a massive problem. And I'm sure you've seen this. Have you ever tried to get peace by running from God? How does that work? But yet we try it. Like, I'm just going to run. Me too. Hey, all of us. We're like, you know what? Let me just, let me just get away. It doesn't work. You ever try to walk away um, from, well, how about this? If you ever made your career the most important thing, God's going to oppose your career. If you ever make your kid's future your number one goal, God's going to oppose your kid's future. We're like, but, but yeah, just read through your Bible if you want to know kids don't pay for what their parents did. It's a fact of life. We know that. Some of us are set up great because of our parents. Some of us not so much because of our parents. It's the reality of the world we live in. He tells us that. And generally, I love my kids, all right? It just depends on the day. But generally, I love them and I like them. But I love them enough to trust them to God's plans, not mine. Listen, if I didn't like my kids, I would try to control everything. I would try to set their path. But because I love them, I let God deal with this which means the most important thing to me is not my kid's sports, not my kid's education. My, the most important thing to me as a father is that my kids fall in love with Jesus Christ, that my kids intimately know Jesus Christ, that my kids know that when they get older, because I won't be here one day, that my kids know that they need to be in a church and run to God's people because they will be here for them. Their job, will that always be there for them? Pfft. Sports? Yeah, right. What else will be there for forever? What are we setting them up for? This is it. God's people will get them through life. His grace is available. You see, the thing is, is God doesn't say, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, he's going to oppose it if you're proud. He's going to stop it, but he gives grace to the humble. Look what James says. We're almost done. He says this, verse 7. He says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Can you believe the God of the universe will come near to you? That blows my mind. It should blow your mind. That if you seek God, he's going to come and meet you. He's going to be like, let's do this. I know you've been running. Read the prodigal son. Look it up if you don't know what that is. But he'll come to meet you. Be like, let's do this. Let's, let's work on this together. Because his grace is greater. Don't forget that. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. I warned you up front, James was rough, right? At the very beginning of this series, I told you. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Here's why. Here's the point. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and what will he do? Let him lift you up. Let him lift your kids up. Let him deal with it. He is God after all. Submit to God. Resist the devil, meaning resist those temptations. He'll walk away. He'll go away because God is far more powerful. 
Repent from your sins. That's what James is telling us to do by washing our hands. Purifying ourselves, it's a call to repentance. Turn away from being double-minded and go all in for Jesus Christ. Turn away from being double-minded is which loyalty am I? Which way am I going to go? What am I going to choose? He says, stop that. Go all in for Jesus Christ. Humble yourself means recognize your spiritual poverty. Recognize you're broken. Recognize you're a sinner. We're all in the same boat. And desperately, remember that you desperately need God's grace to get through. All of us do. And he will lift you up. He'll take care of it. He'll deal with it. And he's far smarter and far better than we can ever be. As I told you before, God took me from being a punk kid, I mean, for real, to a pastor of a church. He took me from being a D student in high school, combined, I've told you that, combined average grade was a D in all four years of high school. He took me from that to a 3.8 in my doctoral degree. That doesn't make any sense. I didn't. He will lift you up. He took me from a broken family to a strong family, a strong marriage with okay kids. <laughs> What's the secret? I have no idea. I haven't seen a good one modeled, but he will lift you up. He has stepped in. His word tells us all sorts of things. Follow it. Try it out. Submit to him. See, the problem is, and I really believe he wants to lift each and every one of us up. Because if God can do that for me, I can't imagine what he can do for you. I'm not that smart. I didn't have a good upbringing. I was a bad kid. You've started so much further, so much far ahead. I can't imagine what he could do with you. It would be amazing. But sometimes we get in the way of ourselves, don't we? We get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. We step in. We get in it. And James says, no, 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 submit. Submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Make it a practice daily, at least weekly. Make it a practice. Draw near to God. Draw near, and he's going to come near to you. You will not be disappointed. Repent means turn from your sins. Deal with it. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I know. But listen, let me explain why. James is like, nope. I know we can rationalize our sin, but James is saying, stop. He wants to get involved. If you want him involved, if you don't want him opposing what you're trying to do, repent. Turn from it. Trust him with it. Because God, and this is crazy, but you read it, God wants to be your friend. Not a Facebook friend. That's what we do with him, right? I'll click and I'll check in. I'll look at your wall every now and again. No, no, God wants to be that intimate, loyal, connected friend to share life with you. But are you letting him? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for calling us back this morning. Heavenly Father, each and every one of us sin, each and every one has selfish desires. But we can start walking down the path of friendship with the world so easily, Lord. But we hear you calling us back this morning. Because of your grace, Lord, we can come to you. Your grace is greater than anything we've done. Your grace will cover all that we've done. 
And you've explained to us that if we simply draw near to you, which means you're waiting for us to come, that you will receive us back and that you would dwell with us and you will lift us up if we simply let go of pride and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, all that things we try to play with, if we let it go and draw to you, you'll come to us and lift us up. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. Father, hear our prayers of submission. Hear our calls of repentance. Father, please forgive us. And we love you and thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.